With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash give tech. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash give tech. Generative AI makes its way to a city hall near you. From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali. A couple weeks back, news broke that a school district in Mason City, Iowa, was using ChatGPT to implement Iowa's ban on books that include descriptions of sex acts. One book flagged was Buzz Bissinger's classic, Friday Night Lights. The thing is, that book includes no such descriptions, according to Bissinger, who spoke to a local TV station in Texas. The banning of any book should be taken with the utmost seriousness. And what bothered me about Iowa and Mason City was they didn't even read the book. Although the district reversed course, it's just one example of how more government officials are using AI at work, leading to policies, including restrictions on tools like ChatGPT. Todd Feathers covered this in Wire. I asked him about the many ways local government employees are using this tech. I think the most common use of generative AI that I've heard about, it, it's using generative AI to summarize meetings, um, to, to create PowerPoint presentations. But there are city governments that are exploring you know, more creative ways to use this technology and really see it as a way to improve some of the slowness of bureaucracy and the denseness and the inaccessibility of government material. So for example, Jim Lauder, the interim chief technology officer in Seattle, told me that employees in Seattle have been considering, that they haven't launched this yet, but have been considering using generative AI to summarize reports from the Office of Police Accountability. So this is an office that um, investigates you know, accusations of police wrongdoing. They put together these long, dense, comprehensive investigation reports. And the city, you know, could see a use for generative AI to simplify those reports, make them more accessible to the public. But there are a lot of risks that are involved in that. Um, you're putting the public's very sensitive information into corporate databases, and it can be used in ways that are um, not entirely strict to the truth. And you also note that there are governments blocking or creating restrictions. What are their main concerns about having public employees use these tools? So the state of Maine, for example, has put a six-month ban on executive branch employees using any kind of generative AI technology. And state officials told me that this is really just because they want to see how the cybersecurity risks play out with generative AI. 
you know, in, in the early days when OpenAI launched, uh, you know, its first few versions of GPT, we saw examples of, you know, prompt injection attacks. There were examples of users being able to see chat histories from other users. All these kinds of quirks and risks in a new technology that usually get kind of worked out before government is ready to adopt it. Um, in, in this case, generative AI tools hit the scene so fast that places like the state of Maine feel the need to to just say no until they can really assess it. Were there any noticeable differences in how smaller municipalities or states are trying to use this technology compared to larger places, larger cities and states? It's a really good question. And I, I don't think so. At least I wouldn't be comfortable you know, ma- making that kind of claim yet. I think what's really interesting to me was not the distinction between big cities and, and small cities, but, but just between you know, different localities in general and, and the personalities that make up those governments. So, for example, the the cities of Seattle and Boston are two of the first cities to release preliminary generative AI guidelines for their employees saying, you know, you must cite that you have used generative AI if you use it for government purposes. You know, there has to be a human in the loop to confirm that the information is accurate. So a lot of the rules are the same between these two cities' policies. But Boston has framed theirs in the sense of we want our employees to experiment with generative AI. We see this as a tool that has great potential Whereas Seattle um, has taken a, a slightly more cautious approach. If you were an employee of Seattle and you would like to use this technology, like really justify that it is going to improve life for the citizens of Seattle and really follow these strict rules. It's not a use first kind of policy, if that makes sense. Yeah. And what are the politics involved here? You know, in your article, one of the interesting examples you raise is out of Mason City, Iowa, where city officials were using ChatGPT as a first step to implementing a book ban policy. And I wonder if you have a sense of whether use of these tools skews one way or the other on the political spectrum. Hmm. I I don't know that it, it skews one way or the other that it breaks down along political lines. I, I think the Mason City case is very interesting because there you have an assistant superintendent and really a school district that was not thrilled about having to implement a book ban law. They, they didn't want to do this. And so ChatGPT was a tool that they thought would, you know, just kind of quicken the process. They had to meet this tight deadline for a thing they didn't want to do. So they plugged some questions into ChatGPT about books, asked if they contained descriptions of sex acts, and then you know did further research on the books from there before removing them. And they got a lot of backlash for that. They got a lot of backlash, and, and well, well, that's certainly a case that um, you know touches on some hot button political issues right now. I think what it really illustrates is that government employees, like a lot of us, um, will turn to technology to make our jobs easier and that frequently that will happen when we don't want to do the job or or the job is particularly complicated. And and it really increases the risk of using these tools that are prone to uh, spitting out false, convincing information. So do you think we'll see more cities adopting AI technologies going forward? Yeah, it's not really up to them, actually. One of the interesting things that that I learned from talking to a lot of government employees was that, you know, these generative AI tools are just being inserted into the products that they're already using without going through the the normally very long and comprehensive procurement process that the government is used to. Because a lot of these generative AI tools can be bootstrapped into widgets and 
and, and kind of integrated into existing products. And so you're seeing government employees just kind of have access to these things, whether or not their governments have made any decision. That was tech journalist Todd Feathers. You can read more of Todd's coverage of the ways states and city governments are figuring out how to use or not use generative AI. That's on our website, marketplacetech.org. We've also linked to a more recent example out of the city of Amarillo, Texas, and its plans to create a sophisticated chatbot assistant that'll provide help in several languages. It's scheduled to be up and running by early next year, according to Amarillo's chief information officer. And to hear more of Friday Night Lights author Buzz Bissinger's take, we've posted the story from his interview with CBS 7 in Odessa, Texas. Daniel Shin produced this episode. I'm Lily Jamali, and that's Marketplace Tech. This is APM. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine... I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.